0: He says it won't last. Your mom is an alcoholic. Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. That's Todd. Todd Villa. Z- it's Todd Zilla X-Pod. Howdy, Todd Zilla Files. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Todd X-Pod, escapingthecave.com, and at Twitter, at Pod. I am becoming prolific. I don't know, the last time I did one of these back-to-back days, maybe. <laughs> Back when I started this backup in May? I guess it could be. This one's going to be a little quick uh, today, a little quicker than the last couple have been anyway. Just as sort of a, um, not sort of, it's just, it is the conclusion to the second part of yesterday's episode. I just didn't want that thing to run about two hours. So I decided to break it up and do two podcasts instead of, instead of one. I'm going to continue the theme, uh, moving through the psychological effects of propaganda using Jacques Leul's book, Propaganda, and I'm uh, focusing on a section he called Psychological crystallization. Going to start off with things like slogans. The power of the propagandistic slogan. Children in cages. That kind of thing. Make America great again. Yeah. Slogans are powerful. Also stuff like rationalization, building monolithic individuals, collective beliefs and obsessions, and the religious personality. And a few side effects. Now, one thing I want you to listen for. I didn't watch the debates last night. Last night, to me, anyway. I did get a little chunk, a little snippet about uh, this Marianne Williams woman, Williams' son, see, I don't even really know her name, uh, that she had made some sort of a splash, and all of a sudden she was blowing up on Google. She was like the uh, number one searched candidate after she said that. So, "Eh, whatever, it's Marianne Williamson, right? (laughs) Well, I found out what she said. One of the things she said anyway, they got the huge applause line, and this is it. So take a listen to this. If you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark, psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. Dark, psychic forces of collectivized hatreds. A line I used later on in this podcast, you're going to hear it today. Unbeknownst to me, she had said that, I promise you, primal forces of our innate hatreds. She's on to something here. I'm taking her a little bit more seriously now because she's either very intuitive, observant and, you know, still a dingbat or she needs to be watched. She's picking up on something that I have been harping on and harping on and harping on for months ever since I brought this podcast back. The mistake she made in my view, and the reason that I'm kind of wondering if she needs to have an eyebrow raised in her direction skeptically, like uh, watch out for this one, is the way she spun that and threw it directly at Trump. Now, I'm not arguing anything about the notion that he's fueling division in our country. To me, it's, it's without question. I'm right there with you. The problem I have is that she seems to think or she's trying to get the audience to believe that she thinks that it's all him. And that is a problem. That's one of those agitation sorts of things that I will talk about in future episodes. I want you to listen for that, that little line of mine, though, uh, later on in this show. Because I start to touch on the agitation propaganda aspect of this. And I really, a red flag went up when I heard that. This dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country. It's like, oh, I don't know what to think of her. I haven't paid any attention to her. None. I figured she'd be out by Halloween. But that showed some savvy to me. At least some observational skills, some insight, intuition, something. And the fact that she connected with so many people last night. <sighs> I just keep thinking back to the summer of 2016, early 2016. Let's say new year between 15 and 16, right after Donald Trump announced that he was going to be running for president. How people scoffed. That was even more ridiculous than her. And look who's president. Keep an eye on her in both senses of the word. I have a little extra time in this podcast today, so I'm going to give you a little something something special. A little bonus. I have this book from uh, Edward Bernays. I've been talking about him the last few weeks. Uh, He has a classic book that was written in 1929. Edward Bernays, the father of public relations. He's the guy that changed the name from propaganda to public relations. That's why we have a public relations industry rather than a propaganda industry in the United States. They are one and the same. There is no distinction to be made. It just is a different name. A different title it would be as though i changed my name to serge does it change who and what i am no i'm still here still here beating my microphone around <laughs> doesn't change the physical qualities of the man of the thing you can change name propaganda all you want it does not change the nature of the thing all right so if it makes you feel better yeah, you want to tell yourself you're gobbling down some public relations, you go right the hell ahead. doesn't make a difference. We all need to feel good. Anyway, I was going to take something out of this because it uh, ties in to a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about. He is uh, the godfather, as I said, the father of propaganda. And he put this book out in 29. After he had come back and started this uh, campaign, he really wanted to rehabilitate the word propaganda. It just was not going to happen they left the cat out of the bag with the Germans in World War 1 and the American people and some of the folks in Europe I do believe they had found out how the information was spun in the lead up to the entry into World War 1 right and they called it propaganda like they, they 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 sort of lifted the skirt up on the informational campaign that was used to manipulate the American public into entering World War 1 they showed it to the public they showed it to we the people and called it propaganda in that atmosphere this guy was trying to rehabilitate the propaganda industry so he could use it in peacetime for advertising politics all that stuff and he found that he just couldn't do it the name was stigmatized way too much to be able to pull that off so he just came up with a new name public relations did not change any aspect of the thing at all okay I wanted to take a couple of things out of this because uh, it really does tie into what I'm talking about. And I don't want to wait until I start dissecting this book later on. (laughs) I'm a little eager. One of the things he says is that men do not need to be actually gathered together in a public meeting or at a street riot to be subject to the influences of mass psychology. Mob think. Group think. Because man is by nature gregarious, he feels himself to be a member of a herd. Even when he is alone in his room with the curtains drawn, his mind retains the patterns which have been stamped on it by the group influences. Now, I mention that because I have brought up over the last few years in a number of places to a number of people on (laughs) a few different shows that it didn't seem to me that people had to be congregated in a mob. In a riot or where anywhere else in order to slip into groupthink. And that's exactly what he just said in that passage. He could be sitting on his couch with his curtains drawn, and he could still be part of a group. How does that apply when you're connected to the entire world, the entire global population of your echo chamber via technology? The virtual mob. A little later, he says he talks about Gustav Le bon. I've mentioned him a lot. He's the, uh, one of the fathers of the study of the group mind. He influenced Freud, who in turn influenced Hitler. Hitler read in Lansdowne Prison and used to horrific results when he got out. He understands a lot of this stuff, or understood a lot of it at the beginning of the century. Bernays refers to him here, saying that Le Bon concluded that the uh, group mind does not think, in quotes, in the strict sense of the word. In place of thoughts, man has impulses, habits, and emotions. In making up its mind, its first impulse is usually to follow the example of a trusted leader. This is one of the most firmly established principles of mass psychology. It operates in establishing the rising or diminishing prestige of a summer resort, for example, in causing a run on a bank, or panic in the stock exchange, in creating a bestseller or a box office success. You hear people love it. You're going to go check it out. Oh, yeah, a lot of people like that book. I trust these people. I think I'll buy it. This next paragraph really applies here. Uh, When the example of the leader is not at hand, and the herd must think for itself, it does so by means of cliches, pat words, whatever that is, or images which stand for a whole group of ideas or experiences. Generalizations generalizations, and stereotypes. I've been talking about that. Not many years ago, it was only necessary to tag a political candidate with the word interests. I think he's talking about special interests back then. To stampede millions of people into voting against him. Because anything associated with, quote, the interests, unquote, seemed uh, necessarily corrupt. Remember, 1929. Recently, the word Bolshevik has performed a similar service for persons who wished to frighten the public away from a line of action. By playing upon old cliché or manipulating a new one, the propagandist can sometimes swing a whole mass of group emotions. I'll just assume I do not need to explain that. Winding down, he says men are rarely aware of the real reasons which motivate their actions. Sound familiar to you? A man may believe that he buys a motor car because, after careful study of the technical features of all the makes on the market, he has concluded that this is the best. He's almost certainly fooling himself. He bought it, perhaps because a friend, whose financial acumen he respects, bought one last week, or because his neighbor believed he was not able to afford a car of that class. He did it to show off. Or because its colors... Are those of his college fraternity. The general principle that men are very largely actuated by motives which they conceal from themselves is as true of a mass of people as of individual psychology. It is evident that the successful propagandist must understand the true motives and not be content to accept the reasons which men give for what they do. And I will add, or what they think. I've been talking about this 10 years. This is the old coyote thing. This is a little blunt, a little direct, perhaps. You're not going to like it. But human beings, you included, me included, all of us are in some way monstrously deceptive. We're always putting on a show for somebody, on some level. I don't, want to, I don't want you to answer this question. I don't want you to think that I'm asking this directly at you, looking for an answer. Don't even bother to pretend to answer this question out loud, okay? But you know this to be true. Think about how often you sit there and silently deceive someone. Either to make yourself look better, to save feelings, to feel better about yourself. Think about how often you're deceitful. Little white deceits, if you want to call them that. And then you've got to understand, once you can see that in yourself, once you understand that, well, then you notice it. Then you can start addressing it. Because you know what? Most people don't even see it. Most people have never thought about that. Most people have never had that question put to them. They've never, ever bothered to think to ask it of themselves. And it seems to be one of those things... One of those little stupid human games that we just agree to let go. I'm asking you to think about it. And then when you notice it, you've got to understand you're not the only fucking person in the world who does that. If you do it, doesn't it stand to reason that the rest of the people do the same damn thing? This is what I mean when I say these folks know you. Better than you know yourself. That's just a very basic fundamental insight and observation I just made. This deceit thing. That people will lie to themselves and everybody else unconsciously without even thinking about it. Without allowing themselves to see it. They understand it though. And they've been investigating the mechanisms by which to exploit that for almost a hundred years. And now they have all of this wonderful technology where they have basically turned you into an electronic Borg that can be networked, that can be pinged upon command. I'm going to say it again. The next evolutionary step, if we're going to survive and move forward, is going to be self-awareness of the human ego, the human id, the human mind. To where we can get out of the funhouse and actually see at least an outline of our true naked selves in the mirror. There was a, a cyber attack in 2016. But you know what was hacked? Was us. They used our technology to hack our minds. They didn't do anything that our domestic influencers aren't already doing right now. They just jumped on. Jumped on the bandwagon. Decided to have some fun themselves, and they were better at it. Scientifically applied a method to it. Rather than just trying to get clicks and followers and likes, they were trying to get you to vote a certain way. Maybe they were just looking to inflict agitation. Divide us up a little bit. It doesn't really matter. Our electoral systems are probably fine. The Trojan horse is our brain. Our brain completely oblivious and unaware of how our own minds work that's the infrastructure problem it's the brain i'm still available for children's parties by the way escaping i'm also embarking on a uh, motivational speaking tour here in the next couple of weeks that should be a real hoot Well, as you no doubt know by now, every good political organization, every good political campaign ideology has a slogan of some sort. And the slogan, according to Mr. alul uh, contains the demands, the expectations, and the hopes of the mass and the mob. Hope and change. Make America great again. I wonder what's going to come out of this political campaign which childish slogans we're going to hear uh, as the 2020 election approaches. The slogan also expresses the established values of the group. Again, make America great again. We're nationalists. It also determines with great precision, he says, the type of group an individual will orient himself toward, whether or not he is a member. And here's the thing. When we talk about these sort of value systems, These are things that we need to establish these standards, these categories, our values. It's an evolutionary thing, man. We didn't, you know, evolve giving each lion, bear, or snake the benefit of personal nuance. We just learned to avoid them. Evolutionary, man. Also, through propaganda, this is done spontaneously to avoid effort, mistakes, and hard choices. It's prepackaged, pre provided. Propaganda gives overwhelming force to this process. And once in it, can no longer modify judgments and thought patterns. It has you. These value systems also spring forth from the media employed, who you choose to get your information from, which gives the appearance of objectivity to subjective impulses, and it also springs forth from everybody's adherence to the same standards and prejudices. This is true. Groupthink. This is the mob mentality. The opinion and judgment may be wrong, right? but they become unimpeachable, pun intended, (laughs) through uh, the intoxicating strength of collective belief. The mob mentality. This is crystallization. Next, he talks about collective belief and obsession. The individual assumes the collective belief as his own. Assumes it. And here, this is key. The weight of these opinions would play only a small part in the psychological life of someone unaffected by propaganda. But once you're in it, these opinions become huge and important. Blown out of proportion. By crystallization, these images begin occupying a person's entire being. You become obsessed, pushing out other feelings and your own judgments. All truly personal cognition, critical thought. Personal cognition, critical thought is doused. And the man is finally consumed with nothing but these prejudices, these stereotypes, and beliefs around which his world revolves. Everything is seen through that filter. Everything. In his personal life, he'll eventually judge everything by such crystallized standards. In his personal life, public opinion metastasizes through propaganda and ultimately suffocates the individual's private opinion. Public opinion in this context, meaning the opinion of the mob, suffocates the individual's own private opinion. It's gone, snuffed out, If you have an opinion, have an opinion that differs from the group, smothered in the crib. And that leads to self-justification, rationalization, what I like to term elephantitis. Jonathan Haidt, post hoc rationalization of an emotive conclusion. An inseminated emotive conclusion that feels good because everybody's reinforced it. What you think you're doing when you're debating is probably post-hoc rationalization. Trying to reinforce a judgment. Self-justification. I'm going to say the phrase again. Post-hoc reasoning slash rationalization. Jonathan Haidt, thank you very much. Jonathan Haidt should be a companion reader to this book. The Righteous Mind. And people have a huge need and desire for justification as well. People need to be able to justify their beliefs... Self-justify. And propaganda fills this need. It's the feeling you get when you feel righteous and you feel you feel self-righteous and you see it, you go to your Twitter feed and you feel reinforced by a dose of happy thoughts, tasty propaganda. And the reason that's appealing is because ordinary and organic justifications are fragile. They're prone to doubt. You doubt yourself because they're yours. You're on unsure footing because your own thoughts, your own opinions are original. There's nobody out there regurgitating them word for word, letter for letter. On the other hand, justification provided by uh, propaganda is irrefutable and solid. As it's not yours. The self-doubt's gone. Right? It's coming from outside. Somebody who knows better than you. Somebody who's, I don't know, written it better, made it sound better. And it's coming from a million different places, so therefore it must be right. That's the justification. Our own self-doubt, questioning ourselves, doesn't come into play. It's wholly eliminated by the support of the mob who's sharing, enforcing these beliefs and justifications. This is the brilliance of Emerson's uh, nonconformity. If I know your sect, I can predict your argument self-reliance read it the individual comes to believe these external justifications these inseminations and considers them eternal truths (laughs) allowed to unburden himself of all guilt and self-doubt loses all feelings for the harm he might do on the contrary he attributes to the enemy all the wrongs crimes even atrocities He himself is in the process of committing. Something tells me that's important. Freed from uh, all sense of responsibility except for the responsibility propaganda instills and inseminates inside of him, he's become a drone. Rationalization then builds the monolithic individual, perfectly adapted to objective situations. (laughs) Nothing can create a split within him. That's why I keep saying, don't try to save these folks. They are solid pieces of cognitive granite at this point. The rationalization, the propaganda, eliminates internal conflict. It eliminates tensions. It eliminates self-criticism and self-doubt. Have you ever noticed how cocksure these virtual avatars, proselytizing all over social media, have you noticed how confident they are? They are not burdened by self-criticism or self-doubt of their opinion. They don't even think about it. They know that God is on their side. Why would they doubt themselves? Proselytes. It also creates a one-dimensional being, one without depth, nuance, or a range of possibilities. A one-dimensional being without depth or nuance is a Puritan, a fundamentalist. This is where you step into the realm of Westboro Baptist Church, or ISIS, or Jonestown, blah, 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 blah. Nowhere good. He'll have the rationalizations, not only for his past actions, but he's also got the rationalizations for everything he may do in the future. He marches forward as a militant proselyte, fully assured of his righteousness. His position right next to God. And tied into what I was saying before about these cocksure people you see all over social media, these folks are formidable in what Alula calls their equilibrium. More so because it's almost impossible to break the harness of justifications. Justifications provided for him. This is Jonathan Haidt. This is Jonathan Haidt. This is Jonathan Haidt. If I could find Ken Ham real quick, I would play some Ken Ham. Remember, I I think that uh, Bill Maher interviewed him in uh, Religious. And Ken Ham was not going to be knocked off that harness, man. There's no way. I used an anecdote from Jonathan Haidt a few episodes back about how people will not be knocked away from their emotive conclusions. He used the example of like a brother and sister on vacation in France somewhere and they want to have sex together. Can't get pregnant. No STDs. Nobody's being convinced or coerced. Just going to happen once. Nothing bad could possibly happen. But this brother and sister are trying to decide if they should fuck. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? The question put to these people in this study was: Is it wrong for them to do that? And everybody pretty much said yeah. But then that was the point. And then the researcher started to ask them why. And they started to come up with all of these different reasons, but the, the reasons were taken care of in the setup. Well, what if she gets No, she can't get pregnant. Well, there might be emotional damage. No, no, they're just going to move on from there. It's fine. The, both of them want to do it. Nobody's being coerced. Well, they could get diseases. No, no they're fine. Nobody has a disease. They're going to use protection. Nothing bad could happen. Is it okay for this brother and sister to have sex? And they would just go rounds and rounds and rounds. They became morally, ethically bewildered as these reasons that were in their head were shot down. They couldn't explain why it was wrong. <laughs> it just is. That's eventually where it got to. That Most of these people, well, I just think it's wrong. I don't care why. just dug their heels in. Didn't bother to have a conversation with them after that. Just now. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Have you had those conversations with somebody politically where you start, you try, you're trying to dig through rationally, and you just can't? That's it. Jonathan Haidt, the righteous mind. When you're done with the lule, go pick it up. It's creepy. You might not like some of it. <sighs> Tensions are always a threat to the propaganda. Yes, yes. Tension. bad cognitive dissonance, tries everything to escape these tensions. Self-preservation, baby. And they do it by running to the comfort of their own online mob, their group, their congregation, summoning rhetorical reinforcements as psychological justification and also to bum-rush maybe an interloper or two. Let's gang-pile this fucker. It's congregational support. It's fellowship. In the most religious of terms, it is. Fellowship. The support of the in-group. I have too many examples of this to count. It's also one reason I stay off of people's pages. I don't want to be (laughs) bum-rushed by zealots. I know you know what I'm talking about here. And all this simplifies life, man. Stability, security, certain satisfaction. It's the warm glow of tribalism. Primitive tribalism, fellowship. Crystallization also closes minds. Well, this seems pretty self evident. <laughs> a personal set of prejudices, beliefs, uh, and objective justification. And the entire personality revolves around those things. The person becomes their inseminated opinions. New ideas become a problem. Oh, I've experienced this a lot. New ideas are a problem, a threat, a threat. A threat to the fabricant's identity. He will defend himself against the threat because it threatens to annihilate his certainties. His worldview, Weltauung, or whatever it is, that, that German word I keep mispronouncing. And eventually he comes to hate everything opposed to what propaganda has made him love, has made him acquire. He quotes a guy named Savoy here. He calls it reactions of defense against the destroyer, the destroyer of security, the destroyer of the adopted myth. This is like walking into a Baptist church and preaching against God. How are they going to react to that? Propaganda has created a system of opinions and tendencies which will not be subjected to criticism. Will not be subjected to criticism whatsoever. No ambiguity or mitigation of feelings. No ambiguity of feelings whatsoever. Propaganda has inseminated in him irrational certainties. Because they are irrational, they seem to him to be part of his personality. He thinks they are him. He doesn't realize, he'll never see it either, that they've been inseminated. They're not a part of him. They're a foreign part injected into his body. Then he comes to feel personally attacked when these certainties are attacked. Oh my God, I have been here. Now, my resistance days, yeah, I couldn't figure that out either. Why am I feeling personally attacked here? I must fight back. Well, I understand it now. I know a lot of people who are like this. Personally attacked when these certainties are attacked. Because deep down in your head, deep down inside, that cognitive dissonance nerve is a twitching. There's a threat there. It might get through that, that brick wall propaganda, that marble wall propaganda is built around it. To prevent anything from getting in there and disturbing your sense of peace and certainty, your self-certitude, your self-righteousness. It might take you away from your place at the side of God. He feels so close to something he considers sacred, and in his mind it is. This genuine taboo prevents our hero from entertaining any new ideas that might create ambiguity or self-doubt within The realm of the sacred. It's a legitimate threat to his entire sense of self. Of course he's going to protect it. And the tragedy is that it's a sense that isn't even his. That is the mind crime. That's the mind rape. It's a tragedy when it gets to this point. You are no longer your own human being. And finally, this is fun. I find it ironic. This refusal to listen to new ideas. The man who's been successfully hijacked by an intensely vigorous propaganda will declare that all new ideas are them themselves. Are they themselves propaganda? I've had that lobbed at me. I've had this called propaganda. The the stuff about propaganda. I've had called propaganda. Everything, everything else is propaganda, But you, oh, no. Incredible. Profound, really. And finally, this leads me to my favorite part of this. It's called the religious personality. (laughs) Maybe you've sensed it going there already. A lot of this sounds religious, doesn't it? It sounds like a batshit fundamentalist, a Puritan. Somebody in the worst tradition of religion. Well, it gets worse. The <laughs> psychological life organized around an irrational external and collective tenet that provides a scale of values, rules, and behavior, and a principle of social integration. How is that not religion? That's what propaganda offers. That's what indoctrination into an ideological system offers. A psychological life organized around an irrational external and collective collectively shared tenant that provides a scale of values, rules of behavior, and a principle of social integration. Fellowship, your place in the world and in the universe. Sins, commandments, punishments. I actually quoted this part. In a society in the process, back in 1964, of secularization, Propaganda responds to the religious need, but lends much more vigor and intransigence to the resulting religious personality, and this is a limited and rigid personality that mechanically applies divine commandments, is incapable of engaging in human dialogue. No, it must minister and convert. Can't have dialogue and will never question values it has placed above the individual. All this is produced by propaganda, which pretends to have lost none of its humanity, pretends to act for the good of mankind, pretends to represent the highest type of human being. In this respect, strict orthodoxies, ideological or religious, (laughs) have always been the same. There's no question that this is a religious state. Now, the next thing he talks about in this section about crystallization is what he terms neurosis. Okay, This is 1965. There are a lot of different things involved in neurosis. A lot of different uh, maladies, psychological maladies, like anxiety. Anyway. When he says neurosis, that's what he's talking about. Go look it up online. I'm not, I really don't want to have to <laughs> give you a clinical definition of neurosis. But I want you to think of things like anxiety. Okay? and In regards to the problems of society, propaganda seems to be a means of soothing personal deficiencies like self-doubt. Right? And it simultaneously plunges the individual into what he calls this neurotic state. And he says this is apparent from the rigid responses of the propagandee. Also from the unimaginative and stereotyped attitude. Unimaginative and stereotyped attitude. Inability to adjust to situations other than those created by propaganda. I think that's huge. The inability to adjust to situations other than those created by propaganda. The need for strict opposites black and white, good and evil with us or against us involvement in unreal conflicts (sighs) created and blown up by propaganda this is everywhere easily triggered folks outrage industrial complex involvement in unreal conflicts created and blown up by propaganda you're triggered these conflicts aren't real most of the time you just think they are you've been told they are so you react in kind Self-righteous mind, your self-righteous, addicted elephant gets his dopamine hit. You can see this clearly at play. These unreal conflicts a few weeks ago. You remember Trump's uh, quote unquote, "racist attacks on these congresswomen of color? Were they really racist? Are you sure those were racist attacks, or was he just criticizing these women? Was he really making a racist statement? That doesn't matter. The racist bomb was lobbed because there was an attack on something residing inside the realm of the sacred. The protected class has been assaulted. Unreal conflicts created and blown up by propaganda. Alul says to mistake an artificial conflict for a real one is a characteristic of neurosis. So is the tendency of the propagandee to give everything his own narrow interpretation. You see it through the filter of Propaganda. And he does that, the propagandee does that, to deprive facts of their real meanings. Tendency, the propagandee, to give everything his own narrow interpretation to deprive facts of their real meaning in order to integrate them into his own system. This is context. This is spin to fit. This is alternative facts. And also give them an emotive colorization. Again, height, 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 Jonathan. Height, height, height. It's everywhere. He also says that the neurotic anxiously seeks the esteem and affection of the largest number of people possible. He wants to impress the group and mass. Hello, Twitter. Esteem and affection of the largest number of people. Is there anything, is there a better sentence that could be written about the Twitter thing? Seeks the esteem and affection of the largest number of people possible. They even put it on your profile. How many people's esteem and affection you've acquired. Status. And this next part is important. The propaganda does not deviate one iota. Because losing the affection of the mob, the group, the cult, the in-group means extreme suffering. This is hugely important. There's a whole section on this on what happens when you lose support of the group. There is a path to empathy here. There's a reason people don't leave their group. I saw this immediately. As soon as I withdrew from the resistance, oh my God, you would be amazed at the comments that were lobbed at me. It was nothing personal. I just didn't want to talk politics with these people anymore. Oh, my God. What are you becoming a Trump What the fuck's the matter with you? And it turned into a lot of times into childish exchanges. These personal attacks that were not provoked at all. I had this happen to me a couple of weeks ago. Looking at you, Austin, where I just don't want to discuss politics with you anymore. I am no longer in your group. You are no longer in my group. Holy shit. Like, I got her out of the group, and then she went to her personal fucking Facebook page And started taking to me on there. Where all I did was say, you know what? I I just don't want to hear from you anymore, as far as politics goes. What happened to you? Where the fuck was that coming from? Well, right there. The hostility toward those who withdraw their friendship or political discussion participation. (laughs) And hostility toward those remaining outside his group. Or alter their beliefs. You know, disrupting the political comradeship. It's happened a lot to me. Uh, The symptoms of the quote-unquote neurotic's need for self-justification also mirrors the propagandist's need for self-justification. It resides in everyone. And this is one of the primary things that leads to insincerity. The need for justification. I used to call this the morrow of humanity, hidden lives. It's also in Emerson's self-reliance. And this piece that I'm writing about the solitary man, I have written actually about the solitary man, just waiting for the right time. Today is not it. In that erotic, this need for self-justification is extraordinary. According to Alul and others, it also mirrors the propagandees. Again, this is Heights rampaging elephant, self-justification. Rhetorical trial by combat. Showing everybody how awesome you are. The appearance of being right. (sighs) Far exceeding the need to be right. It turns into egocentric performance art. This is the core of the problem with social media influencers as well. The need for self-justification. Followers as justification. I could do an entire show about this stuff. I mean, this is Dr. Eli, it's the, the reflection in the mirror. This is a big deal. The need, the neurotic need for self-justification among the propagandized. I mean, this is social media, this is the id, this is in Century of the Self. If you want to find out about Edward Bernays, go watch that on YouTube. Oof. Neurotics, egotists, narcissists. Dopamine addicts looking for self-justification. People become addicted to their own sense of self-righteousness. That's how they find meaning in their lives. This is probably tied to Dostoevsky's struggle. I've talked about that a number of times. Where if you're not really struggling for something, if you're not really fighting a legitimate battle for survival, if your life doesn't have any legitimate sense of survival purpose, you'll manufacture the struggle. Self-justification, a sense of importance in a sea of insignificance, man, our lives. (laughs) I'm thinking of Tyler Durden here, man, a sense of importance in a sea of insignificance. We're all connected now, but when we go online, we're largely insignificant because every the entire world is right there. So we're just a drop in the ocean. The neurotic's need for self-justification also expresses itself in the projection of hostile motives on the outside world. (laughs) Everybody's bad. Destructive impulses do not emanate from him, oh no, but from something or someone outside. For example, he does not want to fool or exploit others, oh no, others want to do that to him. That is a mechanism reproduced by propaganda with great precision. The warmonger projects warmongering on, quote-unquote, the enemy. The projected intention spreads to the propagandee who is then mobilized and prepared for war. This is ideological as well. Activism, right? The resistance creating the counter-revolutionaries. Trump creating the resistance. Hostilities are aroused at the same time he's made to project his own aggression onto the enemy. It's bizarre, because his hostilities are aroused at the very same time the propaganda is made to project his own aggression onto the quote-unquote enemy. It's a victim-enemy scapegoat. We're the victim, they're the enemy. This assumes enormous proportion in the mind of the propaganda, even, even, okay, admittedly, admitting that in addition to this process, some legitimate reasons always exist for some of these reactions. Remember I told you, propaganda doesn't lie to you. The best propaganda doesn't. Um, and obviously, this leads to another topic altogether. the One that I could probably do an entire show on. Maybe I will. Uh, truth and propaganda. He gets into that. How truth and propaganda interact, intertwine. I, I urge you to remember. It's very important that you remember. If you think that propaganda is just tall tales and lies, you're wrong. And you're making a colossal mistake. You're opening your mind's door. It's the entire scope of propaganda, if you think it just lies to you. The best propaganda does not lie. That's a Joseph Goebbels thing. Finally, he uses Karen Horney, great name. Karen Horney's description of the uh, neurotics environment anxiety, hostility, reduction of self respect, also striving for power, reinforcement of hostility and anxiety, a tendency to withdraw in the face of competition. Accompanied by tendencies uh, to self-deprecation. Also, failures and disproportion between capabilities and accomplishments. In other words, being unable to master one's own life and mind. Reinforcement of feelings of superiority. Reinforcement of grandiose ideas. Grandiose delusions. Utopia. Increase of sensitivity with an inclination to withdraw. Increase of hostility and anxiety. Then he wraps up by saying the neurotic and the propagandee have identical responses, even if we take into account that propaganda ultimately eliminates conscious anxiety. It does. Conscious anxiety. Propaganda eliminates conscious anxiety and tranquilizes, sedates the propagandee consciously. Again, 1965, before instantaneous global connectivity. Before we were each our own personal mass media outlet. Ingesting, digesting, and then re propaganda ourselves. And in regards to anxiety, I mean, it's nearly impossible to escape this shit. In fact, we seem to be feeding on this. And unleashing the primal forces of our innate hatreds. Would you believe that there's a method for that too? propaganda of agitation and integration i talked about it in the last episode that deserves its own episode there's things like alienation i've talked about this this is coming very soon it's going to be a project alienation from oneself not from everybody else he's talking about alienation from yourself becoming someone else someone else takes over you are alien to yourself loss of intellectual personal even spiritual autonomy there's also stuff like the psychic dissociation effect. And yeah, polls are really good for that. And statistics. Well, 73% of the people like to stick shoehorns up their butt. Then you'll sit there. Well, why am I not sticking a shoehorn up my butt? Maybe I should stick a shoehorn up my butt. Also, the creation of the need. The need for propaganda. A physical need. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding at all. A lot of you are already there. That's the story of our time. If you don't think so, how do you suppose they've figured out ways to monetize propaganda? Media 101 Podcast, please go listen if you missed it. There is such a need for it in this day and age that they have figured out how to monetize it. How to sell you your own mind-fucking. How to sell you your own mind-rape. Think about that. It's because we want it. It's because we need it. We think we need it. And you know what? I have a stack of papers over there that say we just might. We just might need it. And then there's this thing that I found. that It's a really shitty name for the section. He calls it the ambiguity of psychological effects. The ambiguity. And I'm like, what the hell? I, I almost skipped it. And I, I started reading this thing and it blew my mind. It's that powerful. Contradictory psychological results. This is probably the nexus of what he was calling neurosis. These adverse uh, psychological effects like uh, uh, anxiety, PTSD, all this shit. Anxiety triggered because on some level, you know they, and thus you, on some level, you know this. <laughs> Deep down inside... You know they, and thus you, are largely full of shit. And then you engage in rhetorical fuckery simply to avoid saying, I don't know. Or worse, hey, they're right about that. Or, I was wrong. And to wrap this up, I want to give you a grand design warning. If you're looking for a grand design, a solution to all this, if you're looking for the blueprint, (laughs) nope, you're not going to get that here. You're not going to get it out of that book either, as best I can tell. The only thing he says, detach yourself from personal interest. I mentioned this earlier. You've got to take your self-interest out of it. You've got to get your dog out of that fight. You've got to detach your identity. Excommunicate from the church. That's the only way. And then you've got to shut this shit off. You've got to avoid confusing, ingesting data with being informed. Information and understanding are two different things. And you cannot possibly understand anything if you're ingesting too much data. Your brain does not work that way. I will have a whole slew of podcasts devoted to Nicholas Carr and the Shallows at some point. That goes into the physical effects of the internet, of being online too much, of blasting your brain with too much information and data without mining into one specific thing. And really understanding and really learning and internalizing your understanding of a subject or a topic. That's why they call it surfing. You're skimming the top where the real information and the real knowledge, any path to wisdom lies well beneath the surface. You're never going to get there zipping your rock along the surface. You need to die. No, no uh, sausage party hope is on the way. I apologize for that. Did I indicate that there was? If you thought there was, you created that yourself. (laughs) Aside from near complete detachment, no offered solution at all in this book that I found. The key here, the key thing to remember, is that we want our propaganda. We need our propaganda. That's why we continue to scoop it fully untreated directly from the informational sewers straight into our mouths. And then we wipe it on whoever is unfortunate enough to be within reach. The bottom line is this. You, personally, are responsible for maintaining your own mind. You. Not me. Not MSNBC, not CNN. Don't blame Fox News either. Don't blame the political candidates. You are responsible for maintaining and protecting your own mind. The propagandists can only reach those who are listening to them. We've decided it's worth it. I mean, a lot of us already know this. Now, you can choose to believe it. You can choose to just dismiss it all if you want to. But once you see that, you've got a choice to make. You're making a conscious decision at some point. Once you understand that that device in your pocket is a propagandist's wet dream, along with advertising and everything else. Once you understand that, you've got to make a choice. Do you want to control and protect your own mind, or do you want the convenience and luxury and joy of your device? And most of us, I understand it, most of us will choose the device. Messenger's fine. You know, that's a one-to-one thing. A propagandist is never going to deal with you one-to-one. That's too much fucking work. You can still stay in touch with people using Messenger. It's possible. It's real easy. (laughs) Text messaging. Lots of different ways to stay in touch with people. No, you want, most of you want, that stream of outrage, that dopamine hit of either feeling self-righteous or seeing how evil the enemy is. You want to feel like you're staying informed. You want to be, in your mind, the current events man who is up to speed on every detail of the Current situation nationwide and globally. Mm -hmm. You like that. The mind likes information. Nicholas Carr gets addicted to it. But it is a choice. Once you understand how this shit works, it turns into a personal choice. An issue of personal responsibility. You, you, not me, no one else is responsible for the maintenance and protection of your own mind. Fixing the firewall in your brain. Making sure that your mind cannot be hijacked. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to repeat this over and over and over and over and over again. I know you think you're special. I know you think you're a big critical thinker. And you're not going to be susceptible to this. But you are. I am. You are. We all are. And the evil, the insidiousness of this, maybe the most insidious part of it is, is that you're being manipulated. You're being inseminated. And you'll never feel the ejaculate. You'll always think, and that's why it's it's so powerful. You'll always think it's you doing this for yourself. You'll always think your thoughts are organic. That you've come to some conclusion of truth. When in fact... Your mind has been molested. You've got to see it. you got to see it. Well, you don't have to. But if you're listening to this still, if you've gotten to this point in this podcast, I assume you want to. Or you're at least moderately interested in this sort of thing. Pay attention. We have a lot of words for propaganda these days. Public relations. Spin. Analysis. It's almost ubiquitous now. It's nearly impossible to find something that isn't trying to mind fuck you in one direction or another. Something that give you the opportunity to sit down quietly and reflect on an issue by yourself and decide what it is you think about something by yourself. Where are you even going to get the data? Where are you going to get the information to be able to do that without it being pre-spun? You can't. It's too well done now. Again, I've said in other episodes that to try to determine whether it's good or bad is an exercise of masturbation, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think it's good or bad or right or wrong. Rape is rape, regardless of whether or not you call it by another name. And it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. You cannot avoid it. The only way you can avoid it is to disconnect I mentioned in the last podcast that that sounds horrific to most people. That's being apathetic. Oh my God, the only thing that's than this is being apathetic. No, you're wrong. It's better to be apathetic and uninformed than passionately misinformed. The man who knows nothing is closer to the truth than the man who believes falsehoods, than the man who has been deceived. It's not a very comfortable thought, is it? <sighs> I agree none of this stuff's comfortable sorry matt <laughs> he's afraid of this book he finally ordered it he said he did and he's terrified of it he sees an obsession coming it's a good one jacques allul e-l-l-u-l the book is called propaganda big pink cover you'll find it on amazon i highly 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 i implore you to buy this book and then read it Sit down and look at it, huh? I've been waiting to get this episode out for a long time. This one went better than the one before it. <laughs> but the ones that are coming are going to terrify you. Hey, man, I hope you like being scared. EscapingTheCave.com That is my website. And Twitter. BTC pod over there. More episodes forthcoming. I'm becoming prolific. Woohoo! I'm going to become more prolific as the uh, days go on. I think I've got a method nailed down. I'm not going to make any promises, though. So, whatever. Till next time, so long.